Lockdown, schmockdown. Let's get down with some hockey chat. There might be very little action on the field the world over, but that means that we can just bury ourselves into stats, into interviews, into talks, into everything that is to do with hockey. I'm Derek Alberts. Welcome once again to Hockey 24-7. I'm joined once again by my main man. But again, he's not next to me because he's locked up in isolation in his own home, Tyron Jabu Barnard. How are you doing, Tyron? Yeah, Derek, I think obviously we've got to start getting used to this. Uh, we don't know when the end is coming. Uh, we obviously hope it's 21 days. But uh, yeah, obviously people's health is uh, the most important thing right now. So uh, yeah, let's just make sure everybody stays home. Or uh, I could say it a lot more expressively as some of the comedians do. Um, but if everybody stays home, hopefully we can get over this and out of this uh, in quick time. But there's still lots of hockey planning, activities coming up, news obviously with the Olympics suspended or postponed, uh, events that'll change. So there's still tons of hockey to chat about and lots of content for people to uh, listen to during the lockdown. Yeah, there's no question. It's very disappointing that there's no sport on the go. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it, it means very little uh, given how devastating uh, COVID-19 has been. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, ultimately sport is a passion, but at times like this, we need to obviously pay tribute to, to the people keeping things ticking over. And I probably haven't looked at a teller at a Woolworths or a spa or a checkers with as much respect as I'm looking at them right now. And, you know, it's great how most South Africans are standing together and staying at home. And, and yeah, I mean, when I say it's minuscule in the grand scheme of things, no sport. Of course, I'm talking from a fan's perspective because they can't get their fix in terms of sport, but let's take nothing away from the actual sports people because, of course, this is their livelihood. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we speak about the fact that that hockey in general um, isn't as funded nearly as much as it should be, and now we're taking away the, the little earning capacity that players have. So, yeah, I mean, we do completely sympathize with sports people out there who are unable to apply their trade day in and day out. And for now, it's been a couple of weeks, but, yeah, we, we have no idea just how long it's going to continue for. Yeah, and I think, again, you know, hockey is one of those, those key things. Hockey is really prime, has two prime events. It's got the Olympic Games and it's got the... Uh, um, Apologies at the Olympic Games and the World Cup. And obviously right now we're sitting on the back of the fact that uh, the Olympic Games has been postponed. Yeah, that's... So for, many, for many hockey people, it's uh, it's incredibly disappointing um, because that is the thing that would have kept them going. That's the thing that would have kept them, kept them fired up and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> working free of charge, so to speak. Yeah, no, I completely understand. And the silver lining is the fact that it has been postponed, not cancelled entirely, but it does mean that we've got another 365-day-plus wait uh, until the athletes take on Tokyo 2020, keeping the same name, but just a a year later. Um, But without further ado, let's get on to our guest of the show. Uh, Been around for many years. He's uh, done plenty and more when it comes to hockey, not just on the field, but beyond as well. But uh, Tyron, tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's appropriate that we probably led with the Olympics because uh, 
this man has basically told us that the Olympics was going to be his swim song. So we're now going to give him the chance to uh, to clear the air on that. And, you know, he's represented South Africa 160-odd times. He's captained the country. He's been to the Olympics. He has been an absolute uh, model athlete for the country and uh, definitely one of the better role models for for uh, hockey in the country. So uh, welcome onto the show, Rusty Peterson. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for the nice introduction, guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I mean, um, I appreciate the payment that you put in my account this morning. So uh, <laughs> I think we're all square now. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I mean, actually, we did talk about it, and, and I think we should go straight there. You had played your last game in South Africa. It technically wasn't the one that you were supposed to because of, of uh, good old this. Um, and the Olympics were going to be your swan song. How does this change your personal plan? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a... We've we got to move the goalposts a little bit. Uh, but like I chatted to you earlier in the week, uh, the most important thing is just to for everybody to stay safe and stay healthy and um, and get through this uh, COVID-19 that tackled the world. Uh, for me, mentally, is, you know, I, I still... Uh, I'm still going to retire at the Olympics. It's the Olympics now this year and next year. If they move it for another year, then I'll maybe have a have a, have a different discussion. <laughs> but, um, yes, of course, it's a bit of a mind shift. Um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day. It's, the main thing is I'm, I'm still enjoying my hockey. So, you know, even even I called my, my retirement, if I make a team uh, in Tokyo uh, this year, it would have still been sad for me because it feels like I, I still got a bit of hockey left in me. But uh, of course, in some other stuff, that's also getting important in my life. Um, you know, and, 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 and there's some other challenges out there that I also want to tackle off my hockey career. But at this stage, yes, the dream is still to play at Tokyo. Uh, I feel personally, and especially with this with this team at the moment and with Gareth Ewing, that we got a bit of unfinished business after you know, not performing too bad in, in, in London and then missing out on Rio, that I thought that that is going to be an Olympics where we're going to show the world uh, what, what the South African hockey, na- uh, what South Africa hockey nation is all about. Um, and so I felt like Tokyo, this is the one that I really want to to be part of this this, this story um, and hopefully show the world where SO hockey should be in world hockey. And, and Rasta, in your opinion, um, a... Uh a delay of a year. I think it's a good thing or a bad thing for South African hockey? Well, you know, you, you, you touched it earlier about, you know, money. It's like there's, there's not really a lot of lot of money in ESO hockey. Um, and also, you know, we, we, we've been under tremendous stress at the moment of like, where are we going to get money to prepare for, for Tokyo this year? So I think, you know, it's, it's given you a bit of time now to find those funds. Uh, because we all know we can't get to go to the Olympics with a great team, with great skiers, but we undercooked and we didn't prepare well. Um, and of course, this preparation means like you know you have to go to Europe or you have to travel overseas to go play against the big teams and you know um, try to crack up a couple of games before the Olympics. So I think that that that's the one positive. It gives us a bit of time, you know, to try to go find those sponsors. We also realistic. We know after this, the world economy is going to be a bit upside down. Uh, so it's not going to be easy. But I think from, from a mind shift, you know, it's like it was just over 100 days uh, to go to the Olympics and, and the Olympics have been postponed. So, so it's a little bit sad. Uh, we've been working quite hard. 
And as an athlete, you want to make sure that you peak at the right time. And I think, you know, we've been on such good momentum at the moment, you know, since last year, then, uh, since Gareth Ewing has taken over. Um, and there's such a lack of fear, uh, especially the, the depth that we built at the moment. You know, we're not just talking about the 16 or the 18 players. You know, we're talking about a squad of 46. Um, and, uh, and if you see that, that result, the last result we got against Germany, that 1-1 draw, you know, there was a complete different squad or complete different team that played against USA that we whitewashed. Uh, so so that, that gives you a bit of hope. And, and hopefully we can keep that momentum, you know, into next year uh, when the time is right. Rassi? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was fortunate enough to be on commentary for that game. It was quite funny because, uh, uh, and Derek, I don't think I told you this, but uh, it was Shoot South Africa, the unmanned automated cameras. And because of the way the camera has to sit, I actually sat behind the German bench commentating on the game. And it was uh, the, the unfun time of commentating by yourself. It's definitely much better to have someone in the studio with you. <laughs> but um, obviously I was getting excited with uh, South Africa breaking. We, we, we were sitting at one all. Diane Kasim goes up the other side and had a chance to actually snatch it for us. And I'm getting all excited and the German management just turned around and said to me, hey, Bru, we're also playing this game. <laughs> um, but it was it was a great testament exactly to, to what Rashi just said in terms of the depth. Now, we've chatted to Gareth a few times and not only has Gareth built depth, but uh, currently the men's outdoor hockey side is the most transformed hockey side in South Africa from a national level. I mean, do you think that's a, a large element of focus, Rassi, or do you think it's something that has just naturally started to happen as uh, hockey has gone further and further into a demo- democratic state? Yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot goes into that. You know, uh, I think lot, lots of years, like you said, I mean, this is, a, this is started many, many years ago. There was focus on, you know, what we need to do in the country and our sports. So, and I think I think the good thing was is with Gareth, he was he was quite successful with the S under twenty one team. So he knew the junior structures coming through, uh, you know, and grooming some of these players. And now we, we don't even really talk about it. It's just like, you know, it just happens. I mean, I didn't even think about it until you brought it up right now. And and you're quite right. You know, it's it's nice to see that you can talk about merit these days and, and not to have that you know, that, uh, that that dark cloud always hanging over the players and saying, you know, are you good enough to get picked? Uh, you know, is there anything to do with the transformation? And I think it makes it quite nice for the selectors for once. Um, so, yes, there, 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 there's a tremendous lot of depth, not just with, you know, with playoff colour, but also with with younger younger group coming through now. I mean, we got the two Kasim brothers. I mean, it's just amazing to see a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old brother just you know, walking onto the national park and they're just like own it. Um, so, so those are the kind of things that is that is that are showing some good face at the moment in, in this team. So that's why I say I think at the moment we are sitting in a in a really good spot with the SA hockey men's team, um, and it, and it's it's just very exciting for me, even though I'm just now still playing to see where this team is going to go. You know, the end goal of the squad is 2023, the next World Cup, and to see what we're going to achieve there. Rassi, just to echo what Tyron said regarding Gareth. Now, we have had him on the show a couple of times, but the first time I met him was a few months ago uh, in one of our more recent episodes and uh, the most recent that 
we featured him on. And yeah, I was very impressed with his outlook on the Olympics, but more so just in general of the SA men's hockey squad. And as you say, I mean, it looked as if he had so many boxes that he was looking to tick. And it looks from from the outside, in terms of planning, he, he's absolutely meticulous. And I've spent a lot of time with uh, coaches in different sports uh, and, and chatted to them. And, and he was definitely right up there in terms of impressing me. And uh, I mean, you've been around uh, for a while. You've, you've played under different coaches. Uh, I mean, is he one of the best that, that you've worked with? You know, certainly. I mean, uh, I was lucky to be, to be coaching Gareth at, at the university level uh, already. And I've just seen him grow as a coach over the years. And, um, and to see how he's also changed as a coach and as a person, it's just amazing. He's, he's very calm. And what I like about him, he's, he's very realistic. Um, uh, so you know exactly as a player where you stand with him. Um, and I think that's the best thing for players to understand your role in the team and just to focus on that. And that's what he's brought into the squad. So, you know, going from tournament to tournament, of course, it's very stressful. And it's nice to see him not getting too emotional about stuff, uh, the way he handles the stress. Um, and, and, and just the main thing is, like, you know, he takes it as it comes. Um, and he's quite down to the point. He, he, we, we keep it to the basics. Um, he, he doesn't school any boys or, or police any, any of the guys. You know, you, you're accountable for your own deeds. Um, and he's also, you know, coming to the team and he's built, like, with the senior, most senior players, he's been very open with them. He's built a nice leadership group, and not just with the older guys, bringing some of the juniors into the leadership group. Um, and I think the communication right through the team is just great. And I think it's something we've lacked for for a very, very long time, and it's quite key. You know, I always say, you know, everybody always asks for, you know, we need an international coach. And and for me, it's like over the years I've seen it's like, you know, if you bring an international person into Africa, you know, we've got, we've got so many different languages we speak. We've got so many different cultures. You know, it's like if, you, if you're a French person, you're coaching the French, you know, they all eat the same kind of breakfast. They all like to moan. They all like to be bitter. You know, the, the Brits, they all like their, their, their cold eggs and warm beer. But, you know, when you deal with a team in South Africa, you've got to understand, you know, the person that's sitting next to the other person, he, he, he's grown up slightly different but want to achieve the same goal. And I think that's the key with him. I think he understands the personalities and I think he knows what you get out of the players, you know, and for those players to achieve um, what they have to on the field. Yeah, I'm glad you've mentioned this because it's not the first time I've brought this question up uh, in this podcast series. But a common thread among sports teams uh, when they are successful is that a, a happy sports team is a winning sports team. Or is it vice versa? A winning sports team is a, is a happy sports team. It's like a, a chicken or the egg scenario. And from what I've found, uh, generally when I speak to, to players who've represented successful teams or, or periods where they've been very, very successful, I speak about the fact, oh, it must have been so great having won that tournament or, or won this match away. Or, and they go, no, that was very cool. It was amazing. But then they go back and they talk about the environment that they were in and the build-up to the match or to the tournament, and that they said they've never been in a better environment before. And, and do you find that where, I mean, you're speaking now, is it uh, the bigger group of players? It's not just the fact that he's talking about 11 players on the field. Um, you're trying to build a winning culture amongst the general group of players that are going to be involved 
going forward to, to Tokyo? Yeah, and I think, Derek, you know, where you see it is when the chips are down. You know, when you, when you look for a happy team. And, and I think a prime example was last year's World Series. You know, we came out in World Series, we made the finals quite successful. But what everybody forgot is game one we lost against USA, a game we should have won quite easily. We lost that game. In our second game against Japan, we also lost that game. Um, and I think that, that that was Gareth's first uh, big tournament. You know, and usually sometimes when that happens, you lose your first few games in the pool stages. You know, things can go pear-shaped. But again, like, you know, just, just echoing what I was just saying now, he just, like, kept calm and, and said, well, guys, this is how the tournament is spanning out to us now. We have to win this game to make sure we play against this team to get this result, and we have to put this kind of performance in, and this is how we're going to do it to get to the final. And you guys need to make a decision. And, and, and that just gives a kind of clarity without bringing any uh, stress into the team, without any uh, anxiousness into the team. And I think that also creates a kind of happy culture. Um, and then, then, of course, when you start winning, then, of course, that beer at the end is always sweeter. Um, and and that, that motivates you just to work harder because then you can see, you know, whatever, whatever plan he's giving, whatever tactics he's giving, you know, when it starts working out, you know, you start enjoying training and you start working hard for each other on the field. Uh, and, and even even if you're playing in England and you get handed a warm beer, if you've uh, done so well, it, it still tastes pretty nice as well. Um, well, 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 luckily we've got a very good manager, Martin Van Staden, <laughs> always like regular sneaky, sneaky, and he makes sure he gets what the boys want. <laughs> um, and Rusty, on the flip side, um, when you're not in a great environment, of course, then you really do feel it. And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I'm sure there have been periods where you've been involved with the team or a team where the chips have been down and the guys haven't really gone out to fight because they've been in an unhappy environment and they really think, well, you know, to hell with this. Uh, you know, I'm not really happy at the moment. Yeah. yeah, Derek, to be honest, I've been quite lucky. I don't think I've ever walked onto the park in the green and gold with anybody not wanting to win a game or not, not giving it their all. But, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in a team environment, sometimes, like I said, when the chips are down and things are not going the right way and, you know, leadership is not uh, going well or, you know, there's one or two uh, two two players in the team that, you know, are going off the path. Then, unfortunately, what happens in a team, uh, you know, there's, there's clicks that start. Um, and, and lucky, to be honest, uh, we've always been quite straight with each other. Uh, you know, we've cleared a lot of issues out in the past and we've had a lot of closed-door issues uh, that we had to get through um, with, with various kind of coaches. And it, and it comes in and out. It doesn't matter who the coach is, you know. Sometimes it does pop in. It's just how quickly you can clear it out. Um, but like I say, yes, in the past, always, I mean, it's a natural thing. You will go through those phases where one or two guys are, is not happy. They try to convince the other guys and, and click start. Uh, but that's when you have to diffuse it as quick as possible. And, um, you know, luckily, like I say, in my career, I can't ever imagine that anybody walking to the field not giving it the all or is not left to play that day. Rossi, uh, you mentioned coaches now, and it's actually... Uh Interesting because we, in our most recent episode, we chatted to Lisa Dietlis, 267 caps for South Africa, and she played for four coaches. Now, you yourself, you're sitting on about 165, I think it is about now, and uh, it's very hard for me to even count all your coaches because you've had quite a lot of different coaches. Um, why is that? Why, why do our men have so much more... Uh, rotation and insecurity than our women in hockey in South Africa? Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult question for me to answer. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, if I, if I, if I think now through, 
through my phases. I had different phases in my career with different coaches. You know, when I just came onto the scene, I, I basically just came out of the bush. I only started playing hockey, and luckily Paul Revington saw me, and he just invited me to a national camp. And basically he told me straight, listen, you're going to train for two years with a national team, but you're not going to play a game because we want to try to fast track you because you've got some kind of talent. So at that stage, I mean, Revs was like a completely different kind of coach to me in my phase there. And then after, I think it was after the 2006 World Cup, you know, he moved on to, to go coach another country. And then we and then we had Clarkie. You know, Clarkie we had for a while. I mean, Clarkie was around, you know, until after the London Olympics. So he's been around for four years. And he also, you know, like went through different phases in his coaching career. He's a, he was a man that, that knew hockey better than, than anybody I, I knew. Tactically-wise, he was just incredible. Um, you know, and then from there, there was a bit of a transition when, when Clarkie finished up where, I think SA Hockey wasn't too sure exactly how they wanted to manage the team. I think they were looking at like having a director of the team um, and to try something out. And then we had Charlie Pereira, more like directing the team than actually coaching the team, but just getting trainers around it. So that that was a complete different experience for me. Is you know seeing all of a sudden on the field, you don't just have your coach, your assistant coach, and maybe another trainer, but all of a sudden you have five to ten people involved, and every training camp there's different you know trainers as the as we called it. Uh, so with Charlie, was different. And then Fabian took over. You know, Fabian tried to bring and, and fast-track a lot of younger players to bleed them to, to get it through. And not a lot of players, uh, unfortunately, got on with him. Um, and, you know, when we, look, we just discussed now, when you start seeing a split in the team, then, then there's a lot of unhappy things that happen, um, and unfortunately, over that era. And then, um, and then obviously, we had Mark Hopkins uh, just after him. And, and, to be honest, Mark didn't have a long enough run. I think, you know, he was just in the job from Commonwealth Games uh, early in the year, straight to World Cup in December, and that's, uh, you know, in his contract finished, only had a year contract. So it's difficult to comment on that, uh, what what SO Hockey was deciding on that stage. The reality, though, is, to answer your question, is, you know, they, again, unfortunately, it comes back to the money issue. Um, it's like, you know, at this stage, it's almost like a, you know, being the head coach of SO Hockey, you're a volunteer. Um, and you're not really getting uh, monetized out of the job. So I think that is also a big reason why, you know, coaches come and go. Uh, you know, things are not going well, things are not going right. You know, it's easy just to say, listen, I'm, I'm packing up and I'm, and I'm moving on. Or if you're doing really well, it's easy for another country. Like we've seen a lot of our top SA coaches that we've lost over the years. You know, if you look at um, Craig Fulton, Paul Revington, uh, Jal Bonnet there, there's a lot of coaches we can carry on um, and unfortunately we just don't have those resources for those coaches so I think that that can also be a big reason Yeah I mean and, and you speak about that we know that uh, you know the coach is not even on the men's side it just extends out um, sure there's so many I mean guys who played alongside you or coaching overseas like Lloyd Madsen Red Halkett even Charlie Pereira um, you know, Jen Wilson, Dave Staniforth, Revs, Clarkie, Giles. I mean, so it's, it's crazy how many people we are we are providing worldwide. So it shows you we've got the talent. We just need to use it here. I think I want to I want to dive in a little bit now to uh, the Garrett era, which is your most recent era in your career, and, and we'll go back and talk about some of the highlights of the past uh, in a little bit. But uh, Gareth, as you said, took over just before, just after the World Cup. Uh, we went straight to a, a World Series 
needing to win or make, make the final and didn't start very well. But after we beat Mexico, tide seemed to start to turn and uh, Gareth has actually quite a really good record running right now. Um, do you feel like in the time that you've been with the SA team, are guys starting to enjoy their hockey again more than maybe in the past? Where we're maybe playing with a little bit less pressure? Or, or what is it? Because there definitely seems to be a sense of newness there that wasn't there in the past. I think I think the pressure will never stop. I mean, at this level, there's always pressure. I just think that, I just think there's a, there's much more freedom to play. You know, he's he's, he's empowering players. He wants you to play your style. You know, he, he picks players, and, and it was quite interesting to see as he took over the team. He started making positional changes. Uh, I mean, I'm just using Austin Smith's example, where Ozzy used to play most of his life in the middle. He moved, he moved Austin to left half immediately. And uh, and the and the theory around that is like he just felt like Austin was too too skillful uh, to play in the middles conservatively. He wanted Austin to be more attacking on the left and show his flair. Um, and 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 I think you know for Austin it was maybe like you know it's difficult to change over so many years. And I think Austin has taken that role on, uh, and it's just showed he's, he's probably playing the best hockey of his life at the moment. Um, so small changes like that that he just like kept it very, very simple. And I think the players are definitely enjoying themselves. I think there's also, like we talk about the biggest squad, there's a bit of competition. You know, the, mm. the guys are biting on the heels of each other. Um, and like I say, he's quite open. He, he comes straight to you. He doesn't beat around the bush. And he's telling you if you're performing or you're not performing. He's telling you where you have to work on or not work on. Um, and he's also telling you who's your competitor and, and, and what he thinks about your competitor in the team. Um, if I can use the word competitor. So, I think I think I think that helps quite a lot. And then, and like I say, and, and when it comes in tournament phase, because he's so calm, he's, he's not he's not emotional. He's not over the top. Uh, everybody understands their roles. I think that that also makes you feel part of a team where you're really enjoying yourself. And you can just express yourself on the field. And actually, I mean, you spoke about the competition. I mean, we watched uh, down in Belito, or or I was down there when you guys were playing, and a guy like Lenil Jackson goes and plays his debut and puts his hand up straight away for potential inclusion in an Olympic squad. I mean, that's, that's the level of fight that's going on right now. Of course, the goalkeeping game is a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, you, you know that when you first become a national goalkeeper, you usually spend a lot of time on the bench. Um, and of course, the Olympic Games are different in the sense that there is only one goalkeeper that goes. We know that their second goes as a non-travel or as a traveling reserve, but you don't stay in the village, you're not officially an, um, an Olympian, so to speak. Um, how's, how's the mindset going into that? Because, you know, everybody else is fighting over four or five spots and they need to be in the top four or five. But as a keeper, um, you need to be number one. So how's the mindset? Yeah, like they say, there's, there's no shade in the desert. So uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, yeah, we all know, I mean, especially the Olympics. I mean, it's the pinnacle of any sportsman's career. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, even, even you know, you're talking about the outfield players. Usually we, we take 18 on tour uh, and the Olympics are only 16. So there's two guys that's losing out um, immediately before selection even starts. So, so yeah, for, for the goalkeepers, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, quite difficult. Um, I think for, for the selectors, I think, you know, it's like, you know, what they look for, you know, I can't say because I'm not a selector. 
but you know you just got to make sure that you keep on performing. Okay? You know you're only as good as your last game, um, and you got to make sure you keep on working hard. Uh, luckily, we got you know between the four goalkeepers in the squad at the moment, we've got quite a good chaos between us. So, so when we train, you know we train hard, we push each other. Uh, the guys are keen to try new stuff and try, uh, and the guys are also open to listen to each other, which is quite good. Um, so there's a very good good competition at the moment um, and I'm quite quite excited to see you know what's going to happen you know after my career when I'm done uh, you know who's really stepping up and taking that number one spot because I think I think the boys are working really hard and I think for the first time it feels like there's also quite depth in South African goalkeeping On the subject of goalkeeping Rassi well firstly I can't imagine there's been too many South African hockey players to have been born in Virginia um uh, of all places. And, and, and secondly, how did it come about that you chose keeping as a profession when it came to hockey? Um, it's got to be a, a slight uh, a, a brain cell, one or two missing, um, to have made that decision. Um, I remember playing rugby. Uh, someone put me in goals once just for fun. And I was there for two seconds and I thought, no, never again. I don't want that torture. I mean, how, do, how does it come about that you decide this is what I want to do? You have balls well, flying at me it. daily. I think so similar to your story. I mean, I only started playing hockey very, very late in my career. I knew at the age of 18. So, or it's my, you know, just after school. So I was, I was, you know, born in the free state, like you just said. My dad played provincial rugby, so rugby was in our blood. Uh, primary school, played, played the highest level rugby at primary school. And then in the high school, you know, you, when you get to high school, you, you choose your school who's got the best rugby coach. That's how it works in the Afrikaans yeah. school. So that's where you go to. So our whole primary school team that won, you know, in primary school, the under 13, Bondedach, went all to the same school. Uh, and that's where, <laughs> that's where I went. So at school, you know, my, my first love was rugby. And then my second love was cricket. Uh, hockey, I didn't even think about. Uh, and then, then in standard nine or grade 11, uh, I started picking up a lot of injuries. So halfway through the, my rugby season, I, I, I broke my cheekbone, my eye bone and my jaw. So I was out for half the season. And then in my matric year, that's your big year, that we want to try to make a saving week team and then, you know, hopefully get a, get a sniff at one of the universities or even a union if you played it really well that year. And the second trials game at school, I broke my ankle. I got a plate with six screws on my ankle. So, so that, oh. that was my, that was my last rugby game, put it that way. And then uh, at cricket, I was a wicket keeper. So, so ah. after school, after school went to Vasco Victoria. And then one of my mates, he was a he was a very good, or he was a at that stage under twenty one Northern provincial keeper, <laughs> hockey player. And he said, "Come on, why don't you join the hockey club?" And I thought, "Okay, well, that's a perfect place to to meet chicks." So that's <laughs> how I ended up at the at the hockey club. So I had absolutely no skill, but I but I but I wasn't scared like just uh, being a cricket wicket keeper. I wasn't too scared of the ball. So it gave me my first set of. Of goalkeeper kit, it was a, uh, it was one of those 1978 leg guards, the thinnest tracing paper, and uh, two left footed kickers, and that's where it all started. Um, and luckily, at that stage, you know the, the, you know our famous African umpire John Wright, he's the director of hockey there, um, also had a Belgium coach there at that stage. You know they saw me bugging around there in the fourth or fifth or the sixth team, I can't remember. They just pulled me off the field, and then yeah, and then I started working hard trained. And then, yeah, and then it was, you know, history from there. That, that's amazing. Uh, and I spoke about there can't be too many hockey players emerging from Virginia. I think there must be less um, 
national sportsmen or people who have played nationally only having only picked up the sports in their late teens. That's an unbelievable story. Yeah, I, I was quite lucky. Like, uh, that's why I'd like to touch on that story with Paul Revington. Uh, when he was a national coach, that pulled me, like I say, out of the bush. And then basically told me, listen, you're going to be the team's dartboard for the next few years. So you're just going to tour with us, Max. They're just going to smash balls at you. So, yeah, so that was, yeah, I was, I was, I was quite lucky that, you know, I got, I got spotted that I was, I was talented. And then, yeah, and then it was just graft from there. But I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed training. Uh, yeah, and I, and I, and I enjoy bring, being around with, with the guys on tour. Um, yeah, so, so it just, you know, it just started becoming a passion from minute one. And Rossi, uh, obviously you've played alongside and, and uh, behind and in the picking order some, some really good goalkeepers. Who, who's the keeper that you uh, most looked up to in your career? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I spent as a, you know, when I just came into the team, I spent a bit of time, uh, well, a bit of time, a couple of years behind uh, Chris Hibbert. Um, and he was just like a very natural guy. The way he saw the game, the way he read the game, I thought he was very good of just like closing down space, the way he managed his circle. But he was also really open to me how he discussed, you know, uh, games and how he like, just like spoke to me in a, in a nice way, you know, and tried to also fast track me in certain ways. So I've got, I've got tremendous amount of respect for Chris Hibbert. And then, and then there was crazy nuts like Dave Stanley for Simon Martin. Uh, you know, just before my career as a, as a youngster, there was a great, uh, Brian Myberg that was, you know, six foot seven, you know, and bald as a, like a, like a, wow. Uh, I, haven't heard a that name in, I haven't heard that name in a while. <laughs> Brian Myberg. Wow. <laughs> but, but yeah, but I think, I think the goalkeeper I've uh, admired most of my career was the Dutch keeper, Chris Vogel. Um, <laughs> you know, he retired 2010 World Cup and I was just like watching a lot of like video clips of him and watching him play. Uh, he was just, he was just amazing. He was so agile explosive he had it he just had an amazing eye you know he could dive to the wrong side but he can still somehow get his stick to the ball and you know make a clean save and make it look easy yeah so Chris Vogels was definitely my idol through my career and if you had to pick one keeper to go for a beer with uh, definitely not Brian Myberg because I believe you know we're going to get stuck in at the bar for a long time <laughs> but um, no, it doesn't just yeah, have to be would, one beer it can be a lot of beers yeah, but no, I would, I would, I would love to have a have a beer with the uh, with Chris Vogel, um, you know, and 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 uh, I haven't I haven't spoken much to him, just hello and goodbye. When I saw him at tournaments as a youngster, being very shy, but yes, I would love love to have a beer with him. Brilliant, Sam. You know, Rusty. Uh, obviously, we've been uh, fans and friends for uh, for a long time now. You myself, so I wouldn't say fans, both of us, but uh, you know. I've I've seen you play in some amazing games. I've seen you dominate an RPT where you were one of the few players to uh, ever to be a, a goalkeeper who wins player of the tournament. Um, not keeper of the tournament, but actually player of the tournament. What's the highlight? Jeez, uh, yeah, so there, there's so many highlights in my career. I, I, you know, I always think back again. You know, it's like qualifying for Olympics for Saskatchewan it's always been a stressful mm-hmm. story and it always goes back to you know what we did in, in 2012 you know when we went we qualified we won the Africa Cup and then Saskatchewan said you know we have to qualify again uh, and we had to fly to Japan to Kakamigiara 
to go qualify. And I always remember that final. I think we, we won the game 2-1 and the Japanese put on an extra player the last couple of seconds. And just seeing the guys pulling together in Japan against Japan, um, you know, and, and eventually getting that, that ticket that we deserve to go to London Olympics. I think that is definitely one massive highlight. Um, and then, yeah, and then, then again, it's just like, you know, you know, IPT, winning IPT is always a special moment. But I think also, I think a massive highlight in my career and it's the people that played, played such a big part of my career. It's just like having my family next to the field you know, the other day when we played against Germany and getting a result against them. You know, those, those are small highlights that you will always cherish for the rest of your life. So, so there, there, there's so many, so many highlights out there. So it's difficult to, just to pick out one and say that's the best. And, uh, you know, you, you talk of that, uh, that tournament, uh, where we beat uh, Japan. If we go look, it was actually, you know, not a foregone conclusion because we played Japan earlier in the tournament and we had drawn 3-3 with them. They actually finished top of the pool. We finished second to qualify for the final, um, with a little bit of a scare against Austria before, uh, Ozzy bailed us out there. But I just go through that tournament and I look at the names like Lloyd Norris Jones, uh, McDay, Justin Reed Ross, Austin Smith, uh, Haley, uh, good old uh, um, John T. Robinson, and many, many of these guys aren't playing anymore. Um, so is there is there frustration from you? I mean, Justin Reed Ross finished top scorer in that tournament. Uh, the likes of Lloyd Madsen, a rock solid defender, defender in front of you. Uh, you know, the likes of Lloyd Norris Jones for a long time wasn't called up due to. Uh, Disagreements between him and the organisation. Hello. Sorry, size you back here. Uh, yeah, Derek, we just cut that little piece and make a note on the time. Cool. Okay. All right, let's try that again. Um, so just I, <laughs> so actually in that tournament, uh, Justin Egros was the top goal scorer. Lloyd Norris Jones. Uh, helped with a lot of goals. The likes of Lloyd Madsen was playing in games like that. Is there ever frustration from your side that guys like that didn't play as many games as they could have for South Africa and, and we didn't, after 2012, maybe take the step up that we should have? Yeah, I think I think there's, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. I mean, it's like, you know, every individual player at that stage, his own, you know, own thing of what's going on in his life at that stage. I mean, you know, I take Justin. Justin was at that stage one of the most dangerous flickers in world hockey. Um, at that stage, he was based in Holland. Um, you know, he had he had difficulties, you know, coming back home for training camps and stuff like that. You know, Lloyd Norris Jones is, you know, one or two fallouts with the coach and management. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just how, how, how Chucky was. Um, and I think some coaches could manage him, some coaches couldn't. And, and I mean, these players are probably, you know, some of the best players that the hockey has ever seen. Um, and we'll probably see for, for a long time. And they've, they've, they showed it on at world level, you know, what they can do. So, yeah, you go, you go through these phases and you think, you know, you look at a team and you think, geez, what, what would it have been like if this guy was there or that guy was there? But, you know, after, after a while, you know, it's a team sport and you've got to look past these kind of things. You know, it used to, as a youngster, it used to make me think a lot about that. And then afterwards, it's like, you know, you just got to carry on. You've got to make sure, you know, whoever's 11 guys walking out there on the day, uh, we got to go do the job, and we got to we got to bust ourselves for each other and and for our country. So yeah, so you know, uh, some of those players, you know, had some some issues with management at that stage. Uh, some of them, some of them also had pressure where the clubs didn't want to release them. 
so yeah, it's, it would have been interesting. I think, like I said earlier, we definitely had some unfinished business after London Olympics, um, and I would have loved to see, you know, if we had, you know, majority of that team with some with some extra fresh guys that, you know, some of the Oaks also retired in London uh, to see what we could have done in, in, in Rio. Rocky, as we are moving along here, and we, we don't want to keep you too long because I know during lockdown you've got some training you want to do. I know you're doing a little bit of a marathon run in your back garden. But I thought uh, you had a pretty cool career. So how about we get you to pick a world 11 of people you've played against, people you've watched over the years, who would make your world 11? And because you're still active in the South African scene, um, let's leave any active South African players out of it. Yes, yeah. Um, yes, world 11. Uh, I'll probably go a little bit over. I'll probably add a bench as well now that we've got rolling substitution. Yeah, yeah. But I'm you know, to start at the back, I'll definitely, like I said, my hero was Chris Vogel. I thought he was an incredible goalkeeper, so I'd have him definitely in the net. And then, and I think someone that nobody really talks about, and and it's nice to see him back involved in South African hockey, is Craig Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. I think Craig Jackson is probably one of the best defenders, not just the Africa had, but like world hockey team. He's just had an incredible long-handled pass under the shoulder. Uh, he just defended in a calm way. So it was nice to see, always always nice to see him as a youngster playing. And then um, uh, 2006, and I think he also won gold in Beijing Olympics, was a big German defender. I don't know if you guys can remember him, Oliver Krone. Uh, yeah. He he looked like a WWF guy. He had class around him. <laughs> but this guy can get his knuckles on the ground and make tackles. So, so definitely him. Then another German, Max Miller, he could also slap the ball like a train from the back. And then definitely I've got to go with Mark Knowles from Australia. Uh, he was just a big playmaker from the middle yeah. of the back. Uh, midfielders, you know, if I now really go back into the archives, I would say you can't leave a guy out like Shabazz from Pakistan, uh, you know, Tain Denoya, uh, sure, names like, you know, even Dunrush Pele. I can't even remember, you know, where he played in the midfield or up front. I think he was also like Shabazz, like a potato. You can use him anywhere in any dish. And then, um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like a guy sort of thing. Mo Fuer's name also comes up in mind. Yeah, of course. Uh, definitely Timo Vest, you know, probably one of the best midfielders Germany and the world has ever seen. Uh, Barry Middleton. And then up front, I would say Christopher Zeller, Jamie Dwyer. And then uh, definitely, without a doubt, Greg Nichols from South Africa. So I'll definitely yeah. have those two South Africans in my, in my squad. And then, and then I also a player that I think nobody really talked about or make too much of a fuss was probably one of the most difficult strikers I've ever played in my career, and I've played a lot of games against him. Was Matthias Vettel uh, yes. Germany? This guy was just uh, incredible. He had he could finish, he could do anything. He could hit the ball backhand. He could eliminate goalkeepers one on one. He could flick the ball. He was he was just unbelievable. And then uh, and then yeah, guys like Paul Burrows from New Zealand, Pierre van Veen. From Holland, uh, you know, you think about clickers, Bram Lohman, Sohaila Bas. So those guys, if I have them on my world team, I'm sure we'll we'll be okay. Yeah, I, I think you've got quite a few Olympic uh, and World Cup medalists in that. So uh, you got guys who know how to win, and of course, you brought up actually one of my favourite players of all time, and that's Timo Vest. But um, it's actually his brother that is my favourite player ever. Is Ben yeah, Vest? Ben, yeah, Ben is also classic. I, I mean, he's crazy, but he's, uh, I was fortunate enough to get to meet him when he came and played in the PSI. Um, 
And I don't think I've ever seen somebody move on a hockey field like that before. That's for sure. Uh, All right, um, Derek? Yeah, uh, Rusty, I mean, uh, as we're about to wrap up, we're going to get into the, the one-question quiz shortly. But, I mean, we're speaking about careers, etc. but moving away from the hockey field. And, and talk us through your career because, you know, as sportsmen in general, um, especially when they're in their 30s, they talk about life beyond the sport. But with hockey players, you've got to be talking about that with them from when they're 18 <laughs> um, in terms of careers. And, and there certainly is, a, you do have a, a, a very busy life beyond the hockey field. And um, what does the future hold for Rassi Peterson beyond Tokyo 2020? Yeah, Derek, I think, I think I'll be very, very lucky. I think that's probably why my career has been so long. It's because my, my job allows it. Uh, you know, I was very lucky as a youngster to be sponsored by TK, one of the top brands in the world, German brand. And then, uh, you know, eventually started working for them as a youngster um, and now running the distribution right in South Africa since 2009. So my, my work is like really fit into to my own sporting career. That's a massive hobby. hobby. Um, uh, and I won't just call it a career. I'll, I'll call it a lifestyle. That is what hockey becomes in your life um, in our country. So yeah, I've been I've been running TK for since yeah now eleven years. Uh, the brand has been growing. Um, I've been really enjoying it. Uh, I've got a great team that works with me. Um, I've I've spent a lot of time around the world. I've seen it. Uh, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite lucky after my hockey career. You know, I'm already in the in the business environment. Um, so I know what's waiting for me, but I'm just, you know, looking forward to, you know, spending more time with my two little girls and, um, you know, some other important stuff in my life that, that I've, that I've put on the back burner for a while. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic chatting to you. I think we've got to quickly get into that one question quiz. Firstly, from a media perspective, we've got to arrange a photo opportunity for yourself Rassi Erasmus and Rassi van der Dissen. You know, you, do you know what happened to Rassi on his 150th cap for South Africa? Uh, mm. We were in Stellenbosch and the stadium announcer actually said, ladies and gentlemen, 150 test caps, Rassi Erasmus. No ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time I've heard that. I'm 150 sure. was the first time, but I've <laughs> <laughs> but we've got we've got to do it. We've actually um, Rassi van der Dissen is a is a good friend of Radar Media. He's a, a business partner of ours as well, so we can arrange that very easily. Uh, Rassi Rasmus will take a bit more convincing, but imagine the three national Rassis together in a photo chance. Uh, I, I think it has to be done. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of Rassis that I know in the sports environment. So if we could get the the, the other two guys and you two guys together for. Uh, Bri, we we on lockdown now, but I'm sure in a couple of weeks. Uh, I was saying today, you know, we day six of lockdown. I'm on my seventh Bri already, but I'm sure <laughs> we can arrange something. I tell you what, though, you say there's not a lot of Rassies. Uh, it's, uh, based on the last one or two years, with the successes that Rassies have brought to the sports fields, um, within the next couple of ni- uh, nine months, uh, a little under that now, I, c- I promise you, there's going to be a lot of Rassies. Uh, running around on fields uh, around South Africa in the near future, be it hockey, rugby, or cricket. But now, while we're on the subject, I want to know from you in the one-question quiz, what school did Rassi Erasmus go to? Jeez, why do I think he's a dispatch boy? Because he is. Uh, so, it's, uh, if it's, uh, you know, if dispatch, if, uh, maybe I would say then great. No, no, no. No, so so yeah, that's in PE, but yeah, very close. 
But uh, well, but dis- dispatch, <laughs> dispatch, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the I head. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's it. So you got the Russies okay. from Virginias, and you got the Russies from Dispatch. Uh, Russie van der Dissen, I'm not too sure. I think he's he's a Pretoria boy, if I'm not mistaken. So not as small. But uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, dispatch, where's school? Oh, great. Right. <laughs> it's a win it's a win it's a complete win Rusty it's been so great chatting to you yeah guys thanks, thanks a lot yeah like I say it's nice to make a couple of phone calls in this lockdown we've got lots of time now and it's always like a talking to you so, so thanks for having me on your show yeah thanks Rusty and yeah look uh, I know uh, you were maybe looking forward to putting your feet uh, and kickers up at, uh, in August but uh, we don't mind that you have to play on for another year. We uh, enjoy watching it and uh, we sure you'll enjoy saving balls flying at your face. No, thanks, Roger, for sure. Cheers, Rossi. Cheers, guys. You know, Derek, if you were a hockey player, yeah, I think you'd be a good goalkeeper. I would love to be a keeper. It's mad. Because I think lots of people would love to hit a ball at you. So uh-huh. they hit it straight at you. There's a guarantee. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's perfect. We'll, we'll do one of those challenges. I think that, that's a challenge on this. Yes, I'll, I'll get my do that. Ready for you that's a great idea. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> let's, let's get the Ray from Raider down and we can film Rusty taking shots. Oh, actually, how about this? We get uh, Rusty to do uh, one-on-one against you and me. And yeah. we see who makes the better keeper. Yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, that's, that's, that's easy. We fly Lloyd Norris Jones back. <laughs> no, he's, back no he's, he's too busy with his modeling now. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> we have to book him. <laughs> oh, brilliant, gents. No, yeah, fantastic. Cool. Thanks so much, yeah. Rossi. Thank you, guys. Cheers, yeah. and enjoy, right, enjoy your seventh prime. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers then. Bye. Speaking of which, I think I'm going to go live. Oh. <laughs> Great idea. Taryn? Enjoy lockdown. We'll chat again soon. It's been another fantastic show. Uh, Well done for organizing, Rassi. What a great guy. Uh, Good man. And and what a great servant for South African hockey. Um, Has probably spent uh, a small fortune representing his country and uh, barely ever have you heard a complaint come out of Hidma. Yeah, none at all. Uh, I tell you what, I'll I'll be complaining plenty when uh, I do face him on the hockey field uh, when he shoots those balls at me. It's going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, I look forward to it. I think it's going to be great. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> and nervous. Uh, Tyron Schott, uh, have a great evening. Uh, we'll catch up soon where we'll be joined by another terrific guest on Hockey 24-7. As always, as always. So uh, keep well, keep safe, and obviously stay at home, Derek. Of course. Adios. <laughs> Cheers.